So welcome everyone here and those in person, those watching online, and of course those listening to the sermon later. Last week I was one of those watching later. I was teaching fourth and fifth graders. Our lesson was about angels in the Bible. So of course we read Luke chapter 2, the story of the Annunciation when the angel Gabriel visits Mary. And one of the kids asked, Pastor Erica, what is a virgin? You all know this kid very well. I will not name them. I said, a virgin is a woman who hasn't yet been married or living with a partner. I was not anticipating a lesson on sex education. But that's actually one of the things I love about the fourth and fifth graders. They will ask interesting questions. And this idea, this lesson on angels was their idea. They wanted to learn about angels and they wanted to learn about Satan. So I thought angels for Advent, Satan for Easter. Does that sound about right? So then they asked about what did it mean that Joseph and Mary were engaged. You know, what they picked up is this part about Mary being a virgin is important to the story. The virgin birth is important to the story. Born of a virgin, Jesus' birth is the sign of God's divine intervention in our world. Mary's miraculous conception of Jesus was both an answer to prophecy and a signal of divine action because Jesus is the form, the visible form of an invisible God. Now, we know that beautiful and somewhat messy story of Mary and Joseph as they welcome Jesus, the Son of God, into their human family. All the complications of a kind of an orthodox conception from what everyone knew out there in their families. And of course, the state of their world, the oppression of their people under Roman rule. This year, as we travel through Advent, along with remembering the details of Jesus' birth to a humble and faithful family, we're considering some of the important passages in the Bible that help us contemplate, help us identity, understand Jesus' identity. Who was Jesus both before and after he came to earth as a human baby? And in our year of growing in grace, we've been seeking to learn a memory verse each month. In December, in the season of Advent, we've been focusing on a memory verse from the first verses of the Gospel of John. And here it is. Let's read it together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. This memory verse invites us to explore the identity of Jesus. Thank you, Sue, for our first reading, expanding us beyond this memory verse further into the chapter of the first chapter of the Gospel of John. She read, And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. I was glad to hear Sue read these beautiful words in her lovely accent. I could have expanded the passage. <laughs> because these words were in my heart and mind the whole time that I was in Israel and Palestine. 
the word became flesh and lived among us. I felt the echoes of that in that holy land. Because from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. That's later in that passage. So today we are going to explore the fullness of God and how this brings us grace upon grace. In Paul's letter to the Colossians, he expands and deepens our understanding of how Jesus, the Word made flesh, brings this fullness of God into our world. So listen to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he may come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or earth, by making peace through the blood of his Christ, of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, the structure and language of this points to something as a hymn, maybe not original with Paul, but something that was memorized by early believers. It might be similar to the passage in Philippians that Pastor Dave shared last Sunday. I wish we knew the melody. Some of the construction of the Greek is a little creative. You know how song lyrics do that? Musicians do that. But singing a hymn can help you learn about words and ideas, right? I bet you each have a favorite song or a favorite hymn or something that gives you joy. Of course, people in the early church, most of them were not literate. So singing a song, that would be a good way to remember important concepts. And this letter to the Colossians was written by Paul in captivity. He's suffering, and I imagine him singing this hymn to himself with that unknown melody in a cold cell as he contemplates what he'll write to the Colossians. Perhaps he hears that they're confused about Christ's identity. Some think that the Colossians had some thinkers and philosophers who were a threat to their beliefs. Or maybe they were just people like us, like any follower of Jesus, needing a little help, needing an understanding to absorb and comprehend more about the person and the nature and the work of Jesus Christ. You know, we need to pause and contemplate those things that aren't easily perceived too. So what does this passage tell us that was important to the Colossians and important to us today? First, that Jesus is the eternal image of God made visible. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the incarnation of God, born to a young woman. He grew in her womb, and he was delivered in that beautiful and messy way of human babies. Jesus comes into the world, but he existed before creation. He existed before the world. He is God. All things have been created through him. He is God before time, and in time, all things are held together through him. Jesus, who is timeless and eternal, 
pauses time and reveals himself to humankind at a particular time in human history. You know, as I listened to Pastor Dave's sermon last week, I also delighted in the Chronicles of Narnia, the powerful lion Aslan, who is this Christ figure, the four siblings who enter the world through a wardrobe. I read all the Narnia stories to my children. Okay, honestly, I gotta be honest with you. My first thought was, shoot, Pastor Dave got there first. <laughs> C.S. Lewis and Narnia, they're a preacher's favorite, particularly at Christmas time. You know, that part about it being winter and never Christmas because of the white witch. You know, and here's a picture of me with my friend Ruth. I'm behind her, actually. You can't see me. <laughs> We're frolicking at this um, camp who had this wardrobe, a Narnia wardrobe, and a light post. We were geeking out, you know, with a story, the children enter Narnia through a wardrobe. You might remember the story. One brother, Edmund, betrays all his siblings, all of Narnia and Asland. He becomes entrapped by the white witch through his gluttony for Turkish delight candy. I don't understand that. Chocolate, maybe. But in the rules of that world, the sin that he committed, the witch had rights to Edmund's life. The white witch who made the world cold and kept it in a perpetual winter where Christmas never came. Aslan, the lion, the redeemer figure, he saves the boy from the white witch. He sacrifices himself for the boy, reminding us of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Aslan, the lion, was killed by the witch but he rose again like Jesus. You know, Pastor Dave mentioned that in Narnia there was a deeper magic than death, a deeper power than death. And I was thinking about that in relation to our passage this morning. The deeper magic was that Aslan was there at the beginning in the magic that formed the world. Isn't that a majestic cat? <laughs> Interesting that it's not a dog. But... In the earlier tale about the creation of Narnia, Aslan was there in the beginning, singing the world into creation from a dark void. Aslan was part of the expansiveness, the fullness of the universe. He was the big bang. He himself was there before all things, and in him all things hold together. There was this fullness to this Christ figure, Aslan, as he reorders and reconciles the world through his death and his resurrection. He brings peace. And yes, Christmas comes to Narnia. Jesus is all the fullness of God. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, was joyful to dwell. Early church father Augustine of Hippo said, Christ added to himself that which he was not. He did not lose what he was. Jesus' divinity wasn't reduced by being born into the world. He was fully human and fully divine, and in his fullness, all things are ordered and find their place. The Greek text literally says, in Jesus, all things receive their systematic place. Jesus isn't just a little piece of God pinched off and rolled in a human substance. He's not like a cheese tamale. He's all the fullness of God. He's everything. Paul reminds us that through Jesus' fullness, he reconciles all things, whether on heaven or in earth. 
By making peace through the blood of his cross, he absorbs all the sin of the world, the brokenness of the world, making peace, creating well-being, shalom, wholeness. Jesus makes peace through the cross. Making peace in the New Testament, it's a striking compound word, making peace, only describing Jesus in this action. And what's interesting is, rather than begetting more violence, the cross is the story of God absorbing violence, making peace. Miroslav Wolf describes the cross of God as absorbing the injustice and brokenness of the world. He writes that the cross breaks the cycle of violence. Hanging on the cross, Jesus provided the ultimate example of his command to replace the principle of retaliation. That's the fullness of God absorbing all the brokenness in the world. And my former boss, theologian Joel Green, suggests that our understanding of Jesus' death on the cross is complicated, but it's almost like a kaleidoscope. It's so central to our faith, sometimes we need to shake it up a bit and peer at it anew. He suggests that the significance of Jesus' death is woven so tightly into the fabric of God's purposes that we may never exhaust all the many ways of articulating its meaning for our salvation. Sometimes it's symbolic, like these Christnome symbols on the tree. They're on our tree this week. There are so many deep and symbolic ways to describe Jesus. You can see many of them there. Jesus can be described as the mighty lamb of Judah, a bit like Aslan, the Passover lamb of God. Both capture a truth about Jesus. And then, of course, your kaleidoscope lens could be unique to you. It could be a verse of scripture that helps you understand the fullness of God. It could be engaging in an understanding of science engaging in art, music, relationships, or creation. Here's a slide from the Hubble telescope. Looks a bit like a kaleidoscope to me. Because it's hard to grapple with the fullness of God in Jesus. I really, really understand this. I'm reminded of my seeking years in my 20s. I wanted to believe in Jesus. I was finding the world to be a dark place. And I struggled with this idea, an invisible and omnipotent, powerful God. Then why wasn't God observable to me? If there was redemption, if there was hope, I wanted that. I yearned to believe. The word made flesh, but that was seen by people over 2,000 years ago. But then I thought about it, and even if I was among those surrounding Jesus as he walked the earth, it's clear that those around him didn't fully comprehend who he was. It's clear that God can't be fully comprehended by human intelligence. Look at the stories of those who were around him and doubted. Early church father Origen of Alexandria was a theologian and a philosopher. When the church was grappling with the theology about the nature of God, the sort of things I was grappling with, he said, God cannot be comprehended by any human intelligence. God is invisible, not only in the physical sense, but in the intellectual sense. For there's no mind that's capable of comprehending the divine essence. 
we must be constantly reminded that God is much higher than anything our intelligence can conceive. That's hard because we have good intelligence as a gift from God, but it's not God's intelligence. So we need something bigger. So modern person you, you might try artificial intelligence, right? So I tried a little chat GPT, asked a question, how do I see an invisible God? See what it says on the bottom? Chat GPT can make mistakes. <laughs> so there was nothing interesting. The answer was a regurgitation of the bland and overly confident sermons of pastors of a certain type of tradition who might post their sermons online. You know, people who would have time for that. AI sermons are devoid of the Holy Spirit or the love that a pastor has for their people. So how do we respond to the mysteries that we encounter? These mysteries when we seek to understand about the fullness of God, the fullness of Jesus. Well, our passage tells us Jesus provides the source of power. Jesus has power over thrones and dominions, over rulers and powers in the world. He is one whose fullness reaches through all humanity, a fullness that includes the Holy Spirit that pours out over us. Remember what Jesus told his disciples in Acts 1. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, like here. There is power in the church, which is the body of Christ. Incarnational evidence is found in this body of Christ here in this church. Here's one of your lenses. Come and see, go and do, be together in this community. See how the fullness of Christ flows through us. We may be imperfect, but we are loving. We are a loving church. We seek to love each other. We seek to love God. We seek to love our neighbors. Come and see how the body of Christ has unity around Christ, but not conformity. See how the Holy Spirit animates us and gives us hope, gives us joy in the midst of the mysteries. Find time to contemplate. This one's hard. Find time to examine your kaleidoscope. And this is hard because I'm preaching to myself as much as to the rest of you. Find time to be and pause with God. Find time to contemplate, time to read, time to be silent. Examine your doubts. Your doubts are not bigger than God. Pray about them. Seek to be at peace with the mystery and let the Holy Spirit work through your mind and your heart. So church, this is what I experience and I believe that Jesus' fullness embraces us and that there's mystery in it, of course. Why haven't we seen the full realization of God's reconciliation of the world. Why do we still suffer? I know many of your stories, and you've suffered. Why do we suffer from doubt? Why is the world not perfect yet? But even in the midst of those questions, this is what I've come to believe. I believe that mystery is a design of God's creation not a defect of God's creation. It's a design. Mystery is part of God's fullness. Mystery is part of God being greater than us. 
Friends, we welcome the baby Jesus, knowing that his arrival brings the fullness of God into our human lives. The fullness of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who invite us into their unity of love at Christmas time and always. Friends, you are loved and you are invited into God's fullness. May you experience that this holy season. Amen. Thank you.